and this 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 brutally in your face. I tell you what I think, whether you want to know, whether we hear it or not, uh, doesn't play very well in, in the U.S. So uh, in uh, I was already like in this country for a dozen years, and and I was a a valued computer programmer. I got to a senior level, and at one point, one of my friends took me aside and said, Hey, Jack, do you know everybody thinks that you're an asshole? <laughs> Welcome back to the Live Drop. This is Mark Valley. My guest is Jack Barsky, He's a German author, IT specialist, and former sleeper agent of the KGB. He spied in the United States from 1978 to 1988 as part of the Illegals program. We talked about his early years growing up in East Germany, his personal selection, training, and education with the KGB in Berlin. He's the author of the book Deep Undercover, My Secret Life and Tangled Allegiances as a KGB Spy in America. Begin transmission now. Really grateful I could have your time. I was stationed in Berlin in the late 80s, so a lot of this oh, kind yeah? Of, yeah, a lot <laughs> of this focuses around you know, focuses around what was going on in Berlin at the time. And I've done some research into the Stasi. I was an engineer myself. All I did was build things and blow them up on the German dime <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty much. But there was all this other other stuff going on. Um, Can I recommend a book to you? Yeah, absolutely. Since you were in Berlin and you did research into the Stasi, this is uh, written by a professor at Georgia Tech. Dazi Geheimnis. Is that a new one? Uh, that's German, but it's also out in English. The secrets. Oh, well, well, you were in Germany. You understand what that means. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is all about the, 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 the technical stuff, you know, the, the tools that the Stasi used. This has been declared to be the best book written about the Stasi by somebody who should know. Uh, this is a very interesting little wrinkle in, in my life. My best German friend, arguably my best friend ever, wound up in the Stasi as a scientist. Right. He, was, he became a major, eventually ran at least a, a department within the forgery section, uh, and he forged passports. Right. Uh, he said this book is, this book is as good as any as he has read. And oh, by the way, interestingly enough, he told me that those passports were also sold to the KGB. I may have traveled on a passport that he made. Oh, that he made. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Where did he, where did he make them? Was it in? Well, it was in Berlin. You know, Stasi headquarters. Yeah. No, not in Straza. What's the name of the book again? It's by Christy McCracken. Stasi Geheimnis. Uh, Secrets of the Stasi: Methods and Techniques of East German or GR espionage. And she gave it to me in German. Yeah, have you uh, have you been to the uh, Stasi Museum? Oh Museum? yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. The, the funniest thing is, I took a picture of this. The wings, the picture of the the wings. <laughs> that, that was as as yeah. unprofessional as it gets. Oh, there was a book that came out recently. I think they showed some pictures. It, it was a Stasi instruction manual on disguises, and a guy had a trench coat and a dark wig, and yeah, yeah, yeah. there was some uh, of those. And incredibly ridiculous. Yeah, uh, I think I think the it was the HVA with Marcus Wolf that sort of split yeah. off. I think they had a completely different training and and um, oh, methodology. Yeah. Uh, Wolf's organization was quite professional, if that's a good word to use. And and he got ticked off in the end, uh, according to my friend. 
and this is uh, this is verified by his you know, various biographies. You know, he resigned his job, but he was also pissed off. Right. He he had a boss who they were like oil and water. Mirka was a not not very bright, you know, brute. One of the adjectives that you can apply to Wolf was elegant, right? Right. And that that must have been really awful to work for a boss like that. Yeah, you could tell there was some sort of like Milky was like the working class communist fighter, yeah. spent time in prison, and then there was Marcus Wolf who went to. I think he I think he spent a lot of his childhood in Moscow as well, I think. Yes. No, he grew up he he spent his younger years in Moscow with his family, with his his father. I um now I forget. Conrad was his brother and there was his father was a famous reasonably famous German author and playwright and so forth. That was a very intellectual family. Yeah. Did you ever did you ever meet him? No. Uh I did not. I didn't as a matter of fact I met knowingly. I met nobody who worked for the Stasi. Mm-hmm. And when when I first came out of the closet, uh, Der Spiegel did some research. They were looking for entries in the Stasi archives about me. They came up with nothing. Also, when you think about it, that I was initially pointed towards West Germany, the Bundesrepublik, by the KGB, and it just occurred to me recently. Why in the world would they think they had have to have their own people in West Germany when when the Stasi had almost two thousand there? That tells you something how 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 much they trusted each other. Yeah, I mean there seem to be a lot of our Russian friends. You mentioned growing up in um, um, you know, as a pioneer and so forth. And I I think in your book you mentioned some of the you know some of the tenets of that that you will you know, maintain friendships with, with the Russians, or that the Russian friendship was always really important. I think the Stasi called them our friends. But oh, we, um, it seemed we little... had uh, their closer brother, uh, big brother. The only problem was, as, was high school students, we tried to sort of get establish a relationship with some, you know, with a regiment of soldiers that were stationed locally. Couldn't get to them. They wouldn't let them out. It was all just sort of like baloney ideology, well, there were also kind of a bunch of rumors about how mistreated those soldiers were behind those high fences, which uh, were probably more true than not. I'm also from upstate New York. Well, not that you're from there. Are you? But um, yeah, I looked. I mean, yeah, I, you also came. I came from a place in called the St. Lawrence Valley. I know you mentioned you came from the Valley of the Clueless. Where I came yeah. from is sort of separated. It's separated, but it's cut off from New York State and the rest of the country. Oh, yeah, man, that's way north. By the Adirondack Mountains, yeah, so. Way north. Oh, very boy. Very far north. Yeah, so if you went to, I know you probably, see, I think you spent some time in Montreal, you mentioned. Well, the, the beginning of my, hold on a second, the beginning of, uh, of, of, the, uh, of the FBI cleaning me up was a brief trip across the river at Watertown. So, so you, I get an official document of entry. So yeah, you crossed. Really, I think the lot, most of the people were, didn't know what to do with me because you know most uh, most people of, of my ilk would be given a new identity and put in the witness protection program. Our government saved a lot of money on me. They didn't, you know, I, I was allowed to to stay in place, but they had to clean it up. You know, I was, you know, I, I had to get honest legal documents. So 
since I didn't have a record of entry in the U.S., they had to take me outside and bring me back in. It was all done by the book, right? It was not. Oh, so, was this, not, was, oh, so this is while the FBI was working with you. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So, so I, I've been up north there, and yeah, obviously I've been to, uh, I've been to Montreal. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that where you're from, you were sort of cut off from like Western radio and TV. I, now, radio we could get, you know, my favorite radio station actually was Radio Luxembourg, a station that that had a lot of reach. And I would want to listen to music there, particularly on a Saturday afternoon. I think it was at 3 o'clock. It was the hit parade. I couldn't miss that one. Right. But it was in yeah. English? German. And the guy who actually ran this show was Dutch, Rudy Corral. Great guy. Uh, so anyway, but yes, we could not. The only way for us to receive West German TV would have to would be to put a huge antenna on the roof. My father was a party member. He thought about it and very quickly put thought the, away. Put the kibosh on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I heard that the Stasi teachers used to occasionally try to find out if families were watching Western television. One of the ways they did it was they. And what happened to me, I was a second-year student in uh, in East Germany, and I was a party member. I was active in the communist youth movement, but, I, you know, you couldn't get me away from rock and roll. Right. <laughs> so, and, and, and that applied to most of my contemporaries. Only the real stiffs, uh, you know, wouldn't listen to that kind of music. And I was denounced by a neighbor in the dorm who overheard Heard me, and uh, and it's it's in the book. You know, I was called in by the party boss, and he closed the door, and he says, "Jack, turn the volume down." <laughs> what do you know? What songs it was? This was in the '60s, right? Uh, it was in the late. That was '69. I caught the very beginning of the Beatles. Oh wow! And prior to that, I was listening to some, you know, West German pop. There were a couple of singers that were actually American: Gus Backus and Bill Ramsey. Oh, Bill Ramsey, yeah. Did you recognize this guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot his name, but sure. He was he 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 made a career in East Germany, but he was American, right? Absolutely, yeah. Dean Reed. Dean yeah. Reed, and then somehow he disappeared. Well, he moved to East Germany. Right. East, East Berlin. He lived in East Berlin, but in 1985 he dis he disappeared for a few days. I gotta they, show you another book. They found his uh, body in a they found his body in a lake. They did, yeah. yeah. Tragic story. But you'd heard of him. You, he also played in Moscow as well, but I think he was doing most of his stuff in Germany. I connected with the author. We exchanged books. Oh, the Beatles rocked the... Oh, Leslie Woodhead. Is, she's like a, oh, I got to watch to read this. It's a British guy named... Uh, no, I mean, uh, oh, Leslie Woodhead. I agree with him. I mean... You just couldn't get, keep us away from from rock and roll. It was just like, it, it just was not possible. And there's this famous quote by Walter Ulbricht, who said something uh, to his, his comrades. He says, well, and I'm loosely translating, you know, we, we like good dance music, but with the monotony of that yay, 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 we just got to stop, put a stop to that. <laughs> that, that was, I mean, anybody who heard it in those days knew that the guy was clueless, right? right, right. We were just waiting for better leaders at the time, you know. <laughs> yeah. they didn't come. Then we had Honecker, who wasn't, who wasn't much better. 
Yeah, I think in Berlin Rolling Stones, there's an article recently about that, like how that really affected. That, like, I think it was a Bruce Springsteen concert that they threatened to have in East Germany, and uh, people started selling tickets. It was it was solely a, a rumor. Then the Rolling Stones threatened yeah. to play right on the wall, like on the yeah, western yeah, yeah. side. And typically what would happen in this, these situations, you would have some riots. Right. Uh, and and that was that was a good ammunition for the Stasi to you know to step in and and disband those types of crowds. Right. And how old were you during the riots of 1953? I think it was. Oh, uh, I was four years old. Oh, uh, you're really the, young for that. I was not aware of it. I was aware of Stalin's death, but I was not aware of, of this what's happening. But I this is very interesting interesting coincidence. Just about the day after the wall went up, uh, my parents, my myself and my brother came back from the Baltic Sea. You're in the green, the green Vartburg. And this is yeah, a, this is part you of the did book. read that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And this is not, I didn't make that up. It really happened. You know, it's kind of really odd um, that we just happened to drive, try to drive into Berlin that very day. So did your, I mean, I don't know dig into things a little bit. Was your father, does he have a, does, he was a party member. He was a teacher. He's a principal. Yeah, you know, we, we, have, we have a lot in common with the whole, except for the whole KGB thing. Um, my father was, uh, I was wondering oh. if your father, did he have a Stasi file or had you ever looked at it? Do you think he was an informant? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, uh, a friend of mine, uh, old classmate from middle school, actually did some research and he found his grave. And and I have some idea of what happened to him after uh, what happened to him after he he disappeared out of my life because you know he got we got parents got divorced and he moved on. Right. He he became a teacher at uh, at a at a military school officer. He, he educated officers and I don't know what he was in. He was a, a pretty good uh, German teacher and he was the one who first taught me English. <laughs> oh really he did some english he had he had he, he he didn't finish his education because of the war but he had about 11 years of education and uh he he taught there and then obviously when the war came down i don't know if he was punished for it probably not but he was out of a job right and uh, he finished his job as sort of a uh, a guard for an, an enterprise you know he would uh you know just check people's uh uh, credentials because my friend actually uh, had a delivery there and he saw my father and says, "Oh, I did uh, How are you?" Uh, he act, this this guy found the grave of my father. Uh, I don't know if it, it's Im- almost impossible not to have a file unless they were like they had accidentally disappeared. Everybody was written up. Yeah, it could have been good too, but everybody, there was something about everybody, except for people like me, because I guarantee you, when the when the Russians uh, started a relationship with me, they said, hands off this guy, you don't even know about him. He's ours now. Yep. There wasn't a lot of communication between the, the Stasi and the KGB, at least in Berlin, from what I'm getting. Yeah, well, and, and that makes sense. It sort of uh, gels with what what I experienced and what came to me in hindsight. Yeah. So could we talk for a bit about your 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 training? I, again, uh, I had my heart broken at a very young age as well. Sorry, things didn't work out with, with Rosie. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, you have no idea. I was That's... I was 
devastated. I cried. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and I even tried to get her back. You know, I did, that I went to uh, go chase after her in Berlin, and she made sure that we were never alone uh, in the same room. And so I was heartbroken, and I cried on, all the way on my way home. Uh, and literally for two years, I didn't look at another girl. Jeder hat ein Mal in Berlin. Isn't that the term or something like that? What, what did you say? And uh, Yeah, but you know, talk about training. It, it was all one-on-one. -on -one. There was never... There, the only third person, when, and we're talking about the, the operational training, right, the spycraft, uh, if there was a third person present, it was only because... Uh, the technicians didn't speak German or English, for that matter. Right. Other than that, I never saw, saw anybody else. There was no no group training, and there was, of course, a lot of self-study. You know, I they made sure that uh, I continued my widening my horizon with regard to literature, culture, and uh, history, and all that. You know, they wanted to make sure that I get a really sound end-to-end -end foundation. Did you, do you remember any of the? books they had you read like what what sort of literature no i picked myself my favorite author in those days was honore de balzac uh the french guy balzac yeah mm -hmm. who uh who wrote in in around in the mid 1900s i believe i read every every single book that he wrote that was available in german translation i also read quite a bit of uh, heinrich and thomas mann and after that, it gets a little odd. I don't don't remember too much of anything else. But I, so so what what you can see, I was into more serious classical literature. I sure. read some of the some of the uh, modern novels that, that were written by GDR authors. I think I may have re uh, read Stefan Heim uh, uh, and a few others. Uh, I remember this one book, Der Geteilte Himmel. The Divided Sky, which was sort of at the edge of what you can publish there. Um, and there was also one that's called The Aula. I believe the author was Hermann Kant. And that has something to do with people uh, leaving high school and where they're going. And there was this one mysterious fellow who disappeared. <laughs> right. And that was me. <laughs> that was, that was, you saw your story there. That, that is that is a life imitating art, and you know. Um, Which book was that? Hermann Kant, you said. No. Huh? Which book was that? Hermann Kant, the Aula. Uh, and the funny thing is, what happened? I think it's in the book. When I reappeared, I heard that uh, people had come up to had come to the conclusion that I had died in a rocket accident in Kazakhstan. Did people just make that up, or was that some sort of misinformation that came up? It was totally up. You know, it, it, there were people who were trying to find out where I'm at. You know, we uh, one of my classmates uh, became a uh, a detective, uh, reasonably high level. You know, regular police, not Stasi. Like, yeah, he uh, he tried to find me. So there, there were people who occasionally were looking where that what the heck happened to this guy, and possibly. Somebody got to my wife or something because because the the KGB told my family that I was actually that I died and maybe somebody came up you know okay he died oh yeah but he was in Kazakhstan so there's a rocket that probably blew up in his face some 
and it was put it together. It was one of the most precious moments too of them when I when I sit in my son's uh, uh, apartment and I ask him, and that's in the book. I ask him, you know, I look at this list of addresses of high school uh, mates, and there's Rosie. And I said to him, should I call her? He says, yeah. <laughs> Facebook, <laughs> so Dad. I, Facebook, Dad. I called her, and, he, and I said, you know, guess who this is? Just hang on to your chair. And I said, well, this, this is Albrecht. And she screamed. Oh, my God. <laughs> but this is like I, I had just uh, been resurrected from the dead. Right. right. What's it like to be resurrected from the dead? Or at least to feel the experience of others? It's kind of hard to get, get uh, to to have empathy there, um, but it's uh, it's of course really good to be able to not leave a lot of loose ends around. Sure. And I, you know, I had nothing but loose ends with regard to Germany, starting with the family, but then all with also with friends. And, it, and I was very delighted to be able to connect particularly with uh, my Stasi friend because, you know, he's a really bright guy, very entertaining, mm-hmm. a good guy. You know what happens once you uh, once you sign up for, for that kind of a service and you sign up naively believing in the, in the cause and you, you do, do a good job and you don't do this. This nasty stuff, you know, you don't chase after, you know, ordinary people. You don't put people in jail. You work as a scientist or you work uh, in counter-espionage. And so you, year after year, you get a little higher and, and you get to see that, damn it, this is not what I thought it should be. This right. is wrong. What do you do? You got you, you don't have a lot of choices. You know, like, um, um, what's his name? Um, uh the famous defector, the biggest defector. Uh, oh, the Stasi the, defector, yeah. The Stasi defector, just the name escapes me. But he managed to run. Uh, there were probably some selfish reasons involved there too, but that's besides the point. It wasn't that easy to run. So what do you, and then you got family, right? Now now what? If you become a dissident, you go, you get into trouble. You, you got to take care of your family. So what do you do? So what you do, you rationalize and somehow hope that things will turn out good. And so my my friend who saw things going haywire, for instance, when when in the uh, uh, in the corridors of uh, Stasi headquarters, they had piles and piles of the translations of Gorbachev's book. The reason being that the Russians wanted that book to, to come out in German. Ugh, what's the other one? Well, you know what I'm talking about, right? And, and and the East Germans didn't agree with this stuff, so they printed it and 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 hid it in Stasi headquarters. So so think about it. And so here's the and all of a sudden, then the West takes over, and it's like it's not a unification; it's a takeover. Yeah. And whoever was well, not ever, even a, not even a takeover. I mean, that was almost like a wholesale erasure of, of, of East German culture. Oh, sure. And there, and there were a, a bunch of capitalists who knew how to run a company. And they just like, yeah, it was a, anybody who had anything to do with the Stasi was immediately blacklisted. That could have been a cook, a gardener, doesn't matter. A, a scientist, like, uh, they tried to put my friend in jail. Uh, well, he had a really good defense attorney who I know personally uh, who was a fellow student and he, he, he you know he was not convicted 
But, you know, it's like put yourself into the shoes of these guys. I don't know, call them innocent, call them like victims of history. And and it, it's ta it's taking it has taken him a long time to sort of decontaminate his his mind and his soul. He most recently just uh, gave an interview, a very honest, very uh, straightforward interview, and it took him a long time. I think Vanner Stiller was the guy you were talking about. The Stiller, yeah, exactly. Before... Not a likable character. I, I don't like him. Unlike me, he used women to do what uh, what he wanted to do. I hurt women, but ultimately, I also at least wound up at least serving my daughter and to the extent possible my, my ex-wife. Uh, I didn't use them, either one of them. Right. It's like, yes, like if Romeo ever got to be a father, what would it, <laughs> how would that have turned out? You know, he might have stuck around for a little while, right? Instead of knocking himself off. Yeah, that's a that's a. I'm assuming you you are a father because only parents can relate to what you just said. Yeah, yeah, I'm a I am a father. I had a daughter when I was very young. I was 21, and then I was um, sent to Germany. And of course, tickets back then, back and forth, were pretty expensive. We didn't have Skype, so um, I really I wasn't. Um, yeah, I wasn't with her her mother, so uh, you know I was separated from her for um, for quite a long time. But um, yeah, I do know that feeling when you do make a connection with with a child. It's something that's uh, especially when it when it's your own. It's yeah, it's, yeah. It, it does it does make a difference. You know, I'm looking at my seven year old, and you know, it's almost sometimes like she, uh, somebody's putting a mirror in front of my face. Right. She she is the most like me of all five. How so? Uh, highly curious, super high energy. Very stubborn, uh, um, quite bright. Uh, she has uh, phenomenal uh, language capabilities, and 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 already calls people out on illogical behavior. This is all me. And then she has the additional thing from my wife: very graceful, a good dancer, very very strong feelings and really pretty. So that's a really interesting package. Wow. She sounds like a very interesting kid. I had six pages of questions that I wanted to ask you, but um, wow. yeah, I don't think you know, I'd even want to start to get into them here. It's like, Oh my God. Now, you see what, what we're doing here is that, you know, I'm talking a lot about background. So none of most of that stuff is not in the book. Uh, and, and it doesn't belong, but since you, you have the background that you do. You you might appreciate it. Yeah, I'm just kind of I'm just just enjoying talking to you and see what seeing what comes up. Where, where do you live now? I live in Los Angeles in Eagle Rock. Okay, all right. I get back to upstate New York occasionally. So you were working up there around the time of the 60 Minutes. You were working for the. It's the company that that manages the. Boy, did they get they, – they shit in their pants. Oh, they're afraid you're going to sh – the Russians are going to shut down the – You can't make this up. And I told them ahead of time that, you know, there would be something that would be on 60 Minutes. Said, oh, that's interesting. Just in case. And I can't talk about it because they go – 
Would right. you trust them? Every, anybody. I was under the protection of the FBI. My record was as clean as anybody's. End of, end of explanation. But, you know, this is, these people are just fundamentally, and I agree with my Stasi friend, uh, I, and I'm quoting him here. He said, the higher I climbed in the, uh, in the hierarchy, the more idiots I found. Did you ever had that experience before? I mean, that of being like a pariah with, with some organization that you'd committed yourself to for some cause? Uh, no. I mean, you Not, mentioned in your book you enjoyed you enjoyed working as a team, like being a basketball player. But then you also yeah. liked you also liked working on your own. I mean, you're, I quit the basketball yeah. team to spend more time with the new computers. Well, <laughs> you're, you're asking uh, uh, if you're going where I where I can where I can meet you. This is a, that might be a very perceptive question. Uh, I didn't do too well in corporate America. Mm -hmm. I did. Very well, and in every job that I that I was hired into as a manager or executive, whatever you want to call it, it was to fix something. And to fix something, typically the organizations that were broken, these were not technology problems, they were people problems. And my ability to read people, to judge people, to lead people, right. and make decisions real quickly, uh, because, you know, they would throw... Management would throw up their hands and say, we don't know what to do. And so they left. They let me do what I had to do. And I did really well. But once you got into the steady state mode, I was still sort of in the in the mode of making my own decisions. Right. <laughs> so, right. so I didn't last very long past four years in every one of those jobs. Well, they seem like they had a finite end. Once you Obviously, yes, once you I fixed think, something, you were done. I didn't play the game very well. I didn't kiss ass. I just wanted to do the right thing. And for the most part, I was underemployed. And, you know, I'm not bragging. That's just a fact. I'm, I'm not claiming authorships of my brain, but I didn't make it. Uh, I was mostly smarter than most everybody I reported to. And, and, and no matter how, how, how well you want to hide it, you know, you be really, really cautious, but you can't really, because when it comes to decision time, you know, you want to do the right thing. You know what the right thing is. And now what? You know, are you going to this one time I had a new boss. The, the woman was a total idiot, but she also was uh, she did not uh, relate very well to uh, insubordination. Right. And I was between a rock and a hard place. She gave me orders that would have done damage. So I didn't follow the orders. So eventually she put me on ice and, and that's when I had to leave. <laughs> oh, what, what organization was that? Or what? That was Prudential. Oh, Prudential. Uh, that, My grandfather was an insurance salesman, but you weren't into, you weren't going door to door selling insurance, obviously. Oh, no, no, no. I was, uh, at MetLife, I was working on medical insurance and then Prudential, I was eventually in charge of human resource systems that includes payroll and that kind of stuff. So you were like um, you were like Caesar Milan, the dog whisperer. That you went, you'd go to a person's house. You say, "I don't. I'm not here to fix your dog. I'm here to fix. I'm here to fix the people." I, yeah, absolutely. And in, uh, in in a corporate setting, somebody like me is sort of called in just really when they don't know what to do anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, and and you know, I I could have done in my career. I could have as a consultant, you know, helped countless organizations but the problem is you claim that you can do that that means you claim you're better than everybody else that does not 
play very well because that requires the people to call you in to admit that they're not that good. To have and, a and, yeah, and they that, have to have a level of humility just to let and, you do and, your job. And that, in and of itself, humility does not work very well in a political corporate environment. Everybody, and and so when I, for instance, when when I, you know, I I I have and had and still have a tendency to make fun of myself, a self-deprecating humor that was considered a weakness <laughs> in corporate America. Oh yeah, because of, oh. But they took this. For, you can't. You can't admit that you're weak. You know. You can't because the moment you do, then somebody will pounce on you and you know want to get your job. This is. This is. This is. Uh, it's a. It's a. It's a human condition. And I have been part of really, really nice organizations within corporate, but they were insular and didn't survive very long. They were put together for a purpose. Right. And then they would leave you alone. But eventually, uh, they were sort of a foreign body, and an average w does not really relate very well to excellence. The average wants to put pull excellence down to their own level. Yeah, I've definitely seen a rise in people um, having to having to sell themselves very quickly by saying what their strengths are, what they're what they're good at, and. Um, yeah, that sort of self-deprecating thing doesn't seem to be as, as involved no. as it was. I had a question no. about your training, though, with the Russians, but I did want to get back into more of like what your challenges are right now. But when you were yeah. training with, I think, Herman, you said, he was your, your, your yeah. mentor for a few years. Um, that, was, that was his real name, at least the name that he gave me. Herman yeah. didn't make it up. Did you read any Herman Hess, by the way? Uh, that's, uh, that's Glass Palenspear. You sound like Damien. <laughs> the character you seem like the character Damien, you know who who was uh I mean, he came from this strange home. He didn't really understand what was happening. But it was a story about this kid who could read other people. That was his strength. And he had this one other friend with him who, and it was sort of like it was similar to Steppenwolf character. But um, yeah, I thought that yeah, was fascinating. Um, oh, I also hear another book that I read that I really liked a lot. Uh, uh, Erich Maria Remark, uh, which is backwards Kramer. Uh, Go. All is well All on the Western well. Front. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, that that uh, that uh, really made an, imp an impact on me. It had an impact on me. Anyway. Uh, the question the question was with um, Herman, I think. You know, I, you can look up like what, you know, what sort of tradecraft and the exercises that you talked about some of it in the book. And I'm sure you talked about a lot of it with the FBI. But did they, was there much of a, a personal examination? No, like, did they look at you and for you to identify your own strengths and by that no, no, side all no, your your own weaknesses no, as well? No, no, zero, not a nothing. Uh, it, you know, and 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 knowing what I know now, I was I'm wondering why they did not use uh, some psychological exam. Uh, they relied on the judgment of the handlers. Period. There was nothing else. There, I had a lot of. You know, I, I told I told Herman everything. I told him that I was shy around girls, and you know, we we would we became sort of good friends. And I bet you, every time he met me, he he, he went back to his office and wrote a report because I was told that there were about seven big binders of of uh, Mitrokin saw them, right? KGB archives that had Deton written on it. That was about me. Anyway, 
Uh, nothing. I like zero. I like Stingray better, honestly. I thought that. Was <laughs> <laughs> I just think, let's just call you Stingray. <laughs> uh, well, you know, this Dita was so, so lame. Uh, that's the and, idea, and, right? And, they wanted you to see, be. It's a couple of times where my odd sense of humor got me a little bit into trouble. It was that one, and when when I made fun about, oh, oh, this is Rudolf Abel. I can tell the, the FBI when they catch me that. And and my uh, uh, that was uh, Sergey. He went like, oh, "Don't ever say something like this." <laughs> and anyway, if they had the the, the, the Soviets had, I believe, pretty decent uh, psychologists. If they had given me an exam, there's some there's some exams where you can find. So you're and saying I, if they had des- if they had tested you, they would have found that you have you had. They would have found maybe just maybe I wasn't the right the right guy because I I have a tendency I still do is if I get a command uh, right. and the fifth uh, uh, do this I filter and I do this to the extent I think it makes sense and then the rest of it I won't do I, I'm I, I am a horrible order taker. You. <laughs> But do you do you interpret the intent of the person yes. that was asking for the order? Yes, it makes sense. Well, I don't think she wanted she wanted that, and I turn it around, and 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 that gets me in trouble with my wife too. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I don't know how you, I don't know how the KGB kept you for so long. You can't even, yeah, take out the garbage. Well, but I had listen. Uh, there's a there's an interview with uh, I think his name is also Vladimir Semichastny. He, he's almost 100 years old. He was uh, head of the KGB, and he was once asked uh, to name uh, attributes that they were looking for for people like me. And I can send you that list. Oh, I'd love to see that. It's, it's oddly very much in line with who I am. Oh, wow. Okay. So, and, you know, I, I could check like seven or eight out of those ten points. And and I think that's why they kept me. There's always a downside, you know. Somebody who uh, who can make decisions on his own real quickly in an environment where they can't ask anybody. Well, also have, must have a streak of independence, right? So what do you do? It's the same thing with the women. Do you send a wife with uh, uh, or a partner uh, with a guy, or do you keep him at home as an anchor? Either way, uh, there's always a risk. Right, so yeah. they decided to take a risk. I, I, apparently, I was too good for them to 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 be passed up. Oh, I'd love to see that list you're talking about. Yeah, it's a it's a great list. I, I use it in my presentations occasionally. The honest but able to lie seems. I'm guessing that's one of them. Honest, <laughs> but you, I, I was I was just wondering if if they gave you any training. I mean, there's a difference. I think being truthful and being convincing don't necessarily come in the same package. I was just yeah. wondering if there was any any if you were uh, if if like what your awareness was that and how you responded. Did were there instances where you felt that you had to be convincing, especially when you're lying? And how did you how did you discover that? Well, this is a very this is a question that I've never been asked because you know it's just it just I, I something flashed up in me. I was lying to my handlers towards the end. Oh, I didn't tell, I I didn't tell them that I that I was valedictorian. I didn't tell him that I had hooked up with an illegal alien who I made legal. I didn't tell him that I had a, 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 a child. This was all omission. Right. I don't know if I, 
if I actually opened my mouth and told them a lie? Generic answer is that I, I've always had a, an air of authenticity about me. I don't know how you acquire that. And that makes me, and this is the, uh, the lady uh, from Der Spiegel who interviewed me first said, you know, Jack, you are really dangerous because you, know, I, you can tell me anything and I'll believe it. Sort of the saving graces that I typically may occasionally lie in self-defense, but I have not ever used it outside of the espionage stuff to gain an advantage. You know, I could have been a ruthless uh, climber of the corporate ladder and be retired and multimillionaire by now, but, uh, but I didn't do it. But that was a really good question. I have to think through this as to, you know, have I ab- actually told the KGB lies? Because at that point, all the other lies, I had a very good rationale, right? Right. I had to lie. And I believed the lie. I lived the lie, right? So that was different. Uh, but back home, that's a, I didn't lie to my ex-wife. She knew... She knew where I was and what I was doing. Uh, we didn't get into detail, but I, and to the end, I was honest with her. So let me think that through. Very good question. You know, I'm an actor myself, and I was trying to ask you that question because I know sometimes I, even even if I'm telling somebody the truth, sometimes I have to act convincing in order in order for them to to believe me. If that makes any sense. I mean, if you're sort of naturally avoiding people or avoiding eye contact, and you say something, it. You might be saying the truth, but it might not necessarily look like you're, you're, well, you're you know, speaking I've, the truth. I've learned to be less German, and that's uh, you know one of the things that that the the Russians didn't weren't aware of and didn't teach me, and that's an interesting observation because as a Russian, Americans and Germans look very much very similar. They're not much of a difference, right? right. Well. One of the things that happened to me, and so, so I was not aware of cultural slash behavioral differences, particularly behavioral, and, and, and I found out how different Germans are from Americans when I went back to Germany, and this, this, this brutally in your face, I tell you what I think, whether you want to know, whether we'll hear it or not, uh, doesn't play very well in, in the U.S. So uh, in, uh, I was already like in this country for a dozen years, and, and I was a a valued computer programmer. I got to a senior level, and at one point, one of my friends took me aside and said, hey, Jack, do you know everybody thinks that you're an asshole? <laughs> and I had no clue where that came from. And so what, what, I, what I've learned to do is, to, to the extent possible, to soften what I say. And I have to do even, even more of that because my wife is from the Caribbean and extremely sensitive. So I can't use even mild curse words, and and I have to just wrap everything in 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 velvet and bubble wrap, and sometimes I just can't tell the truth the way I know it. Yeah, I used uh, to, I, one thing that surprised me when I was in Germany, I was there for a while, and I got to see some of the differences with Germans. One of them was that if they see something that is wrong, it's almost like your average German is, is an engineer. And if they see something is wrong, they see a wrench about to fall into the machine. Yeah. It's like they, they want to point it out. And But the fascinating thing is is they – I mean it might be that you know your tires in your car need to be changed or something. But it's almost like they, there's an expectation that Germans have when they give you a critique that you are going to be – not only – you're going to be – you're not only going to like it, but you're going to be appreciative 
of it. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, so that's the thing. If uh, That happened to me after I spent many years in the U.S. Uh, and in other countries. Uh, I was standing in the middle of the night. It was about midnight. We we left the restaurant really late at a traffic light. There was no traffic. There was no cars going. Well, either way, it was dark. You could see. And I crossed on red. There was a guy next to me. He says, are you crazy? Come back here. It's red. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very German. The, you know, it's, they, like they're, it's like they're being helped. It's saving your life, right? There's, a, there's an urge to interfere when something is not right. And and I have some of this, you know, when I go to a friend's house and there's there's weeds uh, growing uh, on the sidewalk, I want to pull them out. <laughs> <laughs> right. I just pointed out to them when you come in. Nice, but thanks for inviting me, but... Um... <laughs> You got some weed. Yeah, you, got, you got a little weed issue there. Just thought I'd point I, it out for you. I'm actively suppressing these things now. Like, for instance, you know, I go into a house and I see something that's not right. Uh, I don't even talk about it. Uh, I don't. I won't even say, you know what? You know, I would have done this a little different. Never mind. <laughs> Unless somebody asks me, and this is my, hopefully I, I can stick to it. This is my motto now. Unless somebody asks you, I will not volunteer a negative. In Germany, that does not right. play. Well, that's sort of a cliche about the German tourist that they complain all the time. But I, I mean, I've been in Germany for. I'm like, no, they're not complaining. They're 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 like consultants that are showing up, telling you how to improve your services. <laughs> you know, yeah. L- listen to them. There's some valuable information coming. You know, you, you're right. Anyway, this has been really enjoyable. I don't want to take up a lot more of your time. Like I said, I have six more pages of questions. I can what, wait. What, I can what, wait. What's a- what what are you gonna do with all this stuff? I thought I thought we weren't we're gonna be taped. Oh, we uh, are. I am recording. Oh, we are. So you're gonna cut things out, I guess. Because I'm recording, and I'll cut out your your part about the. I'll cut out your part nice about the. Um, you you you're better. <laughs> this is up. Yes. I don't want you to get. You, just, you can you can now you have now enough material to to force me back into action. I could bring you. What would bring you back into action? Well, let me give a very general answer to that. I once was asked by intelligence if I was willing to do a job in a third country impersonating a seasoned ex-KGB agent. That would have interested me. It's the adventure aspect of it. Other than that, you know, raising my child and taking care of my family, I think I, I have a bit of a message and I think I'm possibly, arguably more more effective by telling people that, that communism is a crock and, and socialism is right behind it. And oh, by the way, the Russians aren't 10 feet tall either. And, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, and I, I also have found uh, found God and I'm spiritual and religious and all that. So uh, but so I'm, I wouldn't want to go back into action on behalf of the cause. For instance, just for argument's sake. For argument's sake, I'm sure. 10 years younger and I'm in really good health. And the CIA says, you know, we have a job for you. This would be really good and you can help us out. I don't think I would want to do it. Not necessarily because of the danger, because of my mo- my underlying morality has changed, and I got problems with the whole idea that all all ends uh, justify all means.
That was Jack Barsky. Look for his book, Deep Undercover, My Secret Life, The Tangled Allegiances of a KGB Spy in America. End of transmission. <laughs>